Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And today I am going to explore the history of Michigan under the French flag. Hopefully this will be fun and interesting and we can delve a little bit into some of the early French explorers and their history in Michigan. So come along and join me. So in a book, History of Calhoun County, there's a great chapter at the very beginning about Michigan under the French flag. And it describes the four different flags, essentially, that Michigan flew under. Mostly, they refer to the French which being the first, the second being the British, and then the United States flag. There's also, if you study some of the history of Niles, Michigan, you'll find that there was a very brief period for less than about a year that one fort over in Niles flew under the Spanish flag. So technically you could say that Michigan has been under four different national flags, even though it was just a minute portion of the state was flown under the Spanish flag. So in 1607, just one year after the English sailed up the James River, landing at Jamestown and affecting their first permanent English settlement in America, the French ascended the St. Lawrence River and established the first permanent settlement of the French in the New World just one year later. Fourteen years later, the Pilgrims would sail on the Mayflower onto the shores of Plymouth Bay. So these were some of the early stories that a lot of people are familiar with about the New World. The first real French explorer was Samuel de Champlain, and he was a French colonist, navigator, cartographer, draftsman. He'd also been a soldier and a geographer and a whole host of other titles. And he made between 21 and 29 trips across the Atlantic Ocean. And he's known best for being the founder of the area known as Quebec, and what became known as New France on the 3rd of July, 1608. And he's today still a very important figure in Canadian history. Champlain created the first accurate coastal map during his explorations and founded various colonial settlements throughout that area. He was born into a family of sailors and began exploring North America in 1603 under the guidance of his uncle, Francois Grave de Pont. After 1603, Champlain's life and career consolidated into the path that he would follow for the rest of his life. From 1604 to 1607, he participated in the exploration and creation of the first permanent European settlement north of Florida at Port Royal, Arcadia in 1605. In 1608, he established the French settlement that is now Quebec City. And over the years, he formed a lot of relationships with the various Native American tribes throughout the regions of not only Florida, but also in the areas of Quebec and what would become known as New France, which would include the area of Michigan. Now, the first European explorer to journey beyond the St. Lawrence River into what is now known as Canada and also Michigan around the Great Lakes was a man by the name of Etienne Bruel, and he spent most of his adult life learning the Native culture and meeting with the Native Americans within the territory of both regions around the Great Lakes. And he became an interpreter and guide for Samuel de Champlain, 
and he later sent Bruel on a number of exploratory missions into the deep wilderness around the Great Lakes. And he was among the first interpreters of the Algonquin people around 1610. Bruel would serve Champlain for many years. He would eventually be killed in 1629 by the Bear tribe of the Huron people, who believed he had betrayed them to the Seneca tribe. That was during the Anglo-French War of 1629. But Bruel is thought to be the first European to actually see the Great Lakes, having traveled into the interior. And it's believed, depending on what writings you read, that he visited at least four of the five Great Lakes. He saw Lake Huron, Lake Superior, Lake Erie, and Lake Ontario. And he may have also seen Lake Michigan. It's a little bit uncertain if he went that far, but he definitely journeyed through the area that is known as Toronto today. And he's also known to have spent many years traveling between the area of Niagara and the Detroit rivers down to the area of the early settlement of Detroit. And of course, following Champlain and Bruel and the exploratory missions, there was a wave of French that moved into what would become known as the Michigan Territory and what we know today as the state of Michigan. There were three motives that seemed to dominate the French who arrived in this territory. Of these three motives, the first was the love of adventure as part of a few resolute and ambitious men who sought to explore unknown parts of the northeastern section of America and to plunge into the wilderness and search out the Great Lakes and the mighty rivers and the lofty waterfalls. And also important to them was to raise the standard of their sovereign and claim the soil as the subject to their government, which was France. Another class of French moved into the territory following this first wave of the adventuresome type, and those were the ones that were seeking financial gain in some way or another. And they had hoped, by following on the footsteps of the explorers and enduring all the perils and hardships and privations of the wilderness country, that they would come out with some sort of rich rewards for their endeavors and lead a good life back in France, having plunged into the wilderness and found some degree of wealth, being it gold or some other form of wealth in the form of beaver pelts and fur trading and business establishment on the trade lines and that sort of thing. So they were in pursuit of financial gain. That second wave of French explorers that came into the wilderness and traveled the waterways into the deep part of the interior. And they were interested in trading with the Native Americans and setting up trade centers and settlements in order to do that. And a third class of the French that came into the territory, both in Canada and in the Michigan Territory, was the priests, mostly of the Jesuit order, who were fired with a zeal which no hardship could abate and no sacrifice could quench plunged themselves into the deep, tactless wilderness, searching out the haunts of the wild men of the woods, and having found them, counted not their lives dear into themselves if they could not bring the warriors to accept the Prince of Peace and pattern their lives after the Man of Galilee. Now, the results of this work may have seemed quite meager, 
for the amount of effort that they engaged in to convert the Native Americans, but they were a very patient lot of Jesuits and persistent, and they certainly made inroads into the Native American culture with their religious beliefs. And there's a whole story about the Jesuits and long-term history between the Jesuits and the Native Americans. Some of it was good, some of it was very bad, and that's a whole story for perhaps another time. Perhaps I will have a guest on from one of the Native American tribes on at some point to talk about some of that history that they have a lot more details on what occurred during those periods. But essentially you have these three general classes of French citizens that were making their way into the Michigan Territory after the establishment of New France by Champlain. And that was, one, the adventurers, and two, the ones that were seeking profit and gain. And third, you had the Jesuit priests. Now, the French in general were not nearly as successful in forming settlements and colonization as the English were in the areas they settled in North America. However, they did leave their footprints across the state that we know today as Michigan. And you can see a lot of their presence in the names of many of the places. Marquette, Cadillac, Sault Ste. Marie, Pontchartrain, and Detroit. Those names all remain, and those are all of French origin. Detroit, interestingly enough, comes from the word Detroit in French, which means strait, and it refers to the Strait of Lake Erie, which is where the settlement was formed, and it became shortened to Detroit as time went on. The French presence with New France lasted about 156 years on the continent, and eventually fell apart following several battles in the wilderness at places like Crown Point, Fort Duchesne, Fort Frontenac, and also at Fort Niagara. And there was even a major battle on the Plains of Abraham, which was adjacent to Quebec in September of 1859. And the outcome of that battle ultimately had the French capitulating and resulted in the Treaty of Paris, which broke the French flag on this continent and unfurled it forever as they surrendered to the English. Today, there are still remnants of the French influence across the state. In southwest Michigan, we have the St. Joseph River. The name comes from what they declared as the patron saint of the New France Territory. And there, of course, was a major fort early on in the settlement of New France over in the Niles area that gave Niles the legacy of having flown under four flags, if you listen to some of my earlier podcasts. And so there was also a big Jesuit settlement there that had a profound influence on the southwest Michigan area of the territory. And very early on, the the area known as New France stretched from eastern Canada all the way down to Louisiana onto the Gulf of Mexico. And one of the other early explorers of the area was Antoine de la Moth Cadillac. And he was especially noted for having founded Fort Pontchartrain in the area of Detroit. And he was the commander of that fort until about 1710. And then he went on down to Louisiana from 1710 to 1716. And he served as the governor of the area known as Louisiana during that time. And it did not become an official territory until 1713. But his influence on the Great Lakes 
Of course, today we have the town of Cadillac, Michigan, named after him, as well as a lake and um, uh, several other places around. Of course, the automobile coming from Cadillac itself. And there's a mountain over in Maine named Cadillac Mountain. And so there's that French influence just in the name Cadillac, as well as many other locations. When you look on a Michigan map today, you will see French names as well as Native American names. And if you talk to a lot of people, many don't even recognize or realize that names of the places they live in come from a French origin. Some of the things that the French adopted from the Native Americans when they began exploring was adopting the use of the birch bark canoe. They saw that this was a very superior way of traveling into the interior on the rivers that the Native Americans had developed. And this was something that was not known as a technology over in France or in Europe. And when they saw that compared to their wooden rafts and wooden boats they were trying to use on these rivers and waterways, they soon adopted what the Native Americans were using because they could see that it was one lightweight, enough where you could carry it over a portage. And at the same time, when it was on the water, the birch bark canoe could carry up to almost 2,000 pounds of goods down the river with no difficulty. So you had things like that that they adopted and learned and adapted from the Native Americans. They used a lot of the furs, they used the riverways and the waterways to establish their forts and trading centers. They were able to make their way into the interior of the state and form settlements along the lakes. And we call them settlements, but they were mainly uh, trading posts out in the wilderness from that second wave of uh, the French that came through that were there for the monetary gain. So following the Revolutionary War and the Treaty of Paris, the United States boundaries were greatly expanded and included all the land, almost nearly all of the land east of the Mississippi River and south of Canada. And Michigan was then part of what was known as the Old Northwest Territory. And from 1787 to about 1800, it was part of the Union in that capacity. And the whole of Michigan was attached to an area called the Territory of Indiana. And it would remain as part of the Indiana Territory till about 1805. And then the, eventually the Territory of Michigan was established following that. And the settlement of more Europeans coming into Michigan was greatly accelerated after the opening of the Erie Canal in 1825. And this is when you see a lot more of the travelers coming and settling in not only Detroit, but as the lower counties were organized in southwest Michigan. And I've done several episodes on that period of time in Michigan. But the lower counties were officially organized and surveyed between 1825 to 1829, and they opened up and were officially organized all of those 12 or 14 lower counties that you would see today that comprise southwest Michigan were open up to the settlers around 1830 to 1831. And this is where you see the wave of pioneer settlers coming in and taking ownership of land from the government in this whole region. And so that's why when you explore a lot of cemeteries around southwest Michigan, you don't find many graves of people that are buried before 1831. 
you do find them, and they're typically over on in southwest Michigan. They're going to be over towards Niles and St. Joseph area, where those early forts and settlements were. But for the most part, in the lower counties, you're not going to find many graves. There are a few exceptions. For the most part, you're not going to find them any earlier than 1831. And I've been to a lot of uh, cemeteries around southwest Michigan, and I don't usually see them much earlier than that. But there always are a few exceptions because there were a few traders that came through before then and uh, they lived here and they died or they had a family member die. But the bulk of the settlement occurred after 1831. And there's a lot of French names of places still in Michigan today, plus all over the United States, all the way down to Louisiana. Some of the names that come from French origin in the southwest Michigan area, I mentioned Cadillac, the town of Euclair in southwest Michigan here, is of course a French name, and that means clear water, and that town is located over in Berrien Charter Township, and is also part of Pipestone Township in Berrien County. Another example is Isle Royale National Park is French for Royal Island. Napoleon, Michigan is named after Napoleon Bonaparte. Pierre Marquette River for Father Pierre Jacques Marquette. He was a Jesuit priest. And names like Portage are, are French terms over in Portage, Michigan. So there's a whole list of them that you can research if you're curious. And just search um, list of French names in Michigan. There's well over a hundred of them. And many of them that you would not really consider off the bat having been some degree of a French origin. But a lot of them are easily recognizable as, as well. Like St. Clair Shores, for example. Or like St. Ignace which is from the French rendition of St. Ignatius. And of course, St. Joseph itself was taken from the patron saint of New France back in those days. But there's also French names over in Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, and a lot of the area that was once New France, like parts of Illinois, and all the way down to Florida because of the early explorers' influence in that state. So the French had quite a footprint on this continent, and it's uh, somewhat forgotten sometimes, but they have a fascinating history here in Michigan. So that's going to conclude today's journey through history. I just wanted to explore the subject of the early French period in Michigan because I had not specifically addressed that on this podcast up to this point. And it's a fascinating one, especially if you like to look at geography and study the early period of how things got their names and and the patterns of how the state of Michigan settled, you know, because they were settled from the northeast and the eastern side of the state downward and across to the middle. And a lot of it followed the waterways and the early settlements came from the rivers, settlements like that. And even the Native Americans traveling across the continent were traveling by the waterways. The Potawatomi people, if you look at their website uh, for the Nottawasepi Huron Band of the Potawatomi, they talk about how they were river people that had their settlements and villages along the waterways. 
And such was the same path that the French explorers took when they settled into the interior of Michigan. So it's a very fascinating history to dig into. If you uh, would like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. You can always send me a contact form on there. And I am always happy to hear from you. And until next time, when we take another journey into history and explore yet another fascinating tale from Southwest Michigan's past. Thanks for listening. 